Hi, welcome to the HRD Live podcast. I'm Finn Murphy and I'll be your host. I'm joined today by Sarah Sheard, Deputy People Director of MANCAP, to discuss how a third sector organisation can ensure success for its staff and operations in challenging circumstances. From moving onboarding processes online to maintaining consistent, effective service, Sarah details the agile, responsive processes that MANCAP took on in recent times. As this was remote recording, the audio quality may fluctuate slightly from time to time. Enjoy the podcast. Sarah, please give us a picture of MENCAP's operations as it went into the pandemic period. So we've got um, over 8,000 employees and around 6,000 of those are frontline care workers. So obviously from um, a kind of people process and, and practice perspective we had to keep recruiting people and we still had to kind of onboard them we still had to go through a lot of their learning and um, because the learning that they do it's um it's compliance and regulatory learning so it's things like surf- safeguarding first aid etc so kind of one of the early priorities we had to do was to adapt our uh, attraction onboarding that whole kind of early six month life cycle to kind of do things differently even quite practical things of you know you weren't able um, to take in uh, physical copies of right to work and things like that so we had to adapt the whole process and I think what that enabled us to do was to realize how we could get uh, teams working on uh, quite specific problems and tasks and how they could work quite quite creatively to, to, to deal with those um, different demands. And actually they they managed to shorten the onboarding process. They managed to up the uh, the attraction and vacancy, um, the responses that were coming through to the vacancies. So actually the key component of being able to deliver a sustainable um, kind of workforce through that time um, you know, we were really able to to kind of adapt to that. Um, so that was kind of a big focus. And um, the other one where we kind of really had to kind of pivot last year was around comms and engagement. Um, so we'd already started to embed Yammer as our kind of internal, uh, one of our key internal communications channels. But actually a real regular rhythm around uh, communications was such so important to that workforce. So we had to um, think about how we were going to use Yammer, how we were going to get information through to those frontline um, colleagues. But we saw the Yammer numbers in terms of um, hit rates onto that. Just It just grew. And, and what we were doing was essentially doing daily at the start. And then I think it went to kind of three updates a week. So we were doing coronavirus updates through Yammer to say, these are the key things that you need to know. Either there's a PPE change or there's a practice change. There was um, there was tons of um, pay related changes that needed to happen. Lots of policy changes that needed to happen. Um, we had our uh, chief operating officer doing uh, videos of, of things that they needed to know. So just tried to start to build that platform with something that was really helpful. So they needed real time access to information and they needed a place to ask questions. Um, And we had a team of people on a kind of Yamarota um, from across the business to say, right, just put your question there. Doesn't matter what the question is, we'll make sure we we get back to you. Um, So I think that was a real 
kind of success of what we built. Um, and we um, started at the same time to introduce some agile HR practices. So myself and Angela Buxton, who's the people director, we'd gone through our um, uh, practitioner training in agile HR, and we were really keen to, even before we got into a transformation context, try to uh, try out some of the different practices. So that involved things like having a Kanban board, so a kind of planner, essentially, where we would view all of the work and the priorities, what needs to happen, what are the issues, what are the blockers, um, so that kind of real visibility of what was pulling on the uh, resource of the team, and how can we start to move people around in a different way to, uh, to really respond to those priorities, which is why we were able to deliver quite quick responses to those kind of earlier examples so we've been developing the the kind of HR function at the same time so that kind of gets us into kind of where we are now um, really around the kind of how we need to work as a team now in the transformation of what we need to do um, in terms of the strategy kind of mo moving forward so it was kind of you know, last 12 months were, were pretty much reactive, but not reactive in the sense of we just, um, we, we weren't consciously thinking about how we were working. So we used that as an opportunity to think, how is this going to get us into a good working kind of ways of working to really help when we need to, to kind of move on and deliver things that are kind of more in line with our, our plan as opposed to just reacting to, to COVID. How did Mencat respond to the challenges posed over this time? What we do uh, really well is everything is, is on that kind of customer value. So everything had to pivot to say, you know, how do we, so it was, that's what we need to achieve for our customers, which in this uh, case for us is people with a learning disability. What do our staff need, teams need in terms of the people who are uh, dealing with those uh, people they're supporting on a daily basis? And therefore, what do we as an enabling function need to do to support them? And that's where, you know, we need to make sure that they can still get uh, vacancies filled. We need to make sure that people are safe in services because if our, if our uh, colleagues are safe and well-trained, that's going to have a negative impact on the people we support. Uh, we had to have um, a real uh, intense focus on the um, risk assessment and kind of the approaches. So we had quite a lot of issues around um, COVID outbreaks and um, um, and this is a, um, a cohort of uh, colleagues who in most um, circumstances are on the minimum wage, uh, real living wage in, in some scenarios. So we had a real ethos around um, no one should be disadvantaged uh, financially through this period. So actually we made quite a lot of pay policy decisions around our kind of sickness and our absence policy when people were having to kind of shield and isolate so that they wouldn't be penalised financially for that. And actually we bear the brunt of, of some of that wage bill um, still through that. So that kind of whole focus on our employees through to you know they need to be able to 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 come to work and be equipped in order to have that real focus on our our customers who you know they were going through such a strange time for 
people with a learning disability in our services, you know, suddenly they can't go out and they haven't got the mental capacity in some circumstances to really understand that, you know, they've now got their support worker turning up with a face mask on. And that's really hard for some of the people with support with their verbal and non-verbal communication skills. So we saw this real sense within the staff teams around um, a kind of sense of responsibility for trying to really um, positively influence those lives as much as they could within their remit. So that's where Yammer became really positive because we've got all these stories kind of popping up of we've just created a bar at the end of the garden. You know, they, they were just coming up with all these different, we've done a bake-off this week. Um, they were, you know, they were setting up video calls between friends and different things. So really trying to, um, I guess, take the fear and the anxiety out of it for, for people with a learning disability. And I think, you know, our role from a kind of an enabling team came by making sure that the team felt well, well supported and happy at work as, as they could do given the, the circumstances so that they were able to give that support. And, you know, we did a lot on mental health and well-being. So I set up a big kind of cross-org group on that um, because we were really conscious that, you know, they were seeing colleagues dying. They were seeing people that we support were dying. And that was really challenging, as well as just the 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 day in day out stresses of wearing PPE all the time. Um, and for our non service facing colleagues, you know, some of them felt quite helpless. Um, kind of could see all of this kind of going on in quite a real way. Um, you know, so you know, although they were on the front line, we did see an impact on some of our back end. Um, kind of colleagues and having to support them some had to go on furlough we had to make you know some of those decisions like most kind of organizations to, to protect their jobs for kind of the longer term um, so there were quite there was quite a lot of decisions we had to, to take um, around that. How did MENCAP endeavour to meet its strategic priorities? You know, the, the, the new vision is for people in the UK, uh, people with a learning disability to, to lead happy and healthy lives. And so I think what we try to do is do that line of sight to the strategy. So, you know, you're enabling those team practices, how those teams work um, to be better, to remove the things that frustrate those teams, for the processes to be better, to how we attract and retain colleagues for them to feel valued have a voice all all that kind of um you know people experience kind of domains we've got this kind of uh model that we use around kind of understanding that ecosystem and kind of what impacts on someone's experience of work so you know if you're not in a frontline team it's all about how can i be of service to that team um, so, you know, we've got a big project on, for example, at the moment where we're looking at a lot of our shared service processes. Um, so for those people, they're thinking, well, I'm just looking at a shared service process. How is that going to help? Whereas what we position now is, you know, if we can make that um, a one minute process for a manager to complete that, that's more time that they can spend with their team. Or if it's, you know, one minute for a colleague to do something um, to, you know, record their annual leave kind of in a better way that's more time they can be spending with someone they're supporting or they're just going to feel like they can leave their shift at the end of the day 
and you know they haven't got all this other admin um, work that they need to do so it's all centered around that kind of experience um, and that kind of line of sight to join up to say I might be doing something here but impacting on that team or impacting on that person that we're supporting or how the system works around it is just as important work so that's how we try and kind of mirror that that different experience across the business. What are the unique challenges faced by third sector organisation compared to a public or private body? Yeah, so I think the so I think the opportunities are that um, I think there has been a raised visibility of the fact that care workers uh, are kind of now seen um, are seen more important and more valued. Um, I think it was always about um, kind of primary care and um, kind of nurses side of it. I think there's there's been more of a kind of public perception shift around kind of care work um, with some of the um, kind of messages kind of coming out in the in the kind of media around that. I think the, the kind of challenge on the flip side is that, you know, there still hasn't been a big social care reform coming through from the government. So, you know, there's, it's still significantly underfunded um, in, in terms of social care. And, you know, there's been a lot of work that we've had to do around, you know, you know, a million pounds, I think, extra in PPE costs and how our local authority is going to fund that and lots of internal work where we've 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 been trying to sustain the charity by not incurring these extra costs. So I definitely think there's some big challenges still in terms of a, a kind of bigger agenda that was there before before COVID. But I think there's a, a wider kind of public appreciation um, of that now. Um, I think because we do social care for people with learning disabilities, it's still quite an understood a, a misunderstood area. So, you know, someone with a learning disability can have really complex needs or they could hold down a job and they could, you know, we've got lots of colleagues who work for Mencap. And I think, you know, when you see a lot of things around care homes, they talk about um, older people care homes. They don't talk about, you know, young people care homes with, or, or um, supported living services where we're supporting someone in their house or we're supporting a, you know, a house full of young male adults with a learning disability. So there's still, I don't think there's um, a good enough understanding of kind of learning disability out there. Although there's, a, I think there's a more of an appreciation of that kind of care workforce holistically so it can be a challenge in terms of getting funding and um you know some of that um some of that that areas is, is is how it tends to impact so trying to position learning disability and and kind of really sell what it is in order to kind of raise more partnerships or you know we've got a big fundraising ask is, is always the kind of challenge that we have thanks so much for joining us today to discover more fresh content from HRD Connect, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.